I've seen him. I've held him in these arms. God had, had promised me that before I passed from this world to the next, that I would behold his salvation. The Christ child, <laughs> the spirit, he led me to the temple that day. And when the spirit is leading, you don't want to miss what he is doing. When I was there, this young couple came in with their new baby and, and I just, I just knew it. God confirmed it in me. My heart just burned that, that this was the Messiah, the promised Christ child that I've been waiting for so long to see. I was overwhelmed. I, I picked up the child and I, I danced and I lifted him up and, and praised God for his faithfulness. God's promise to me had been fulfilled. He can take me now. I can die in peace knowing that our nation's salvation's at hand. Oh, but, but not just our nation. No, this child will cause the rise and fall of many nations. I told his parents that he will be a light to all people. Not many people are going to like this, but God's plan is to offer salvation to all peoples, not just the Jews. I know it sounds crazy, but you just have to understand the scale of this. He will be rejected because he will expose the thoughts of men's hearts. Oh, great are you, God. What was broken in the Garden of Eden, he will restore. He will restore. Amen. He will restore, will he not? That is a little glimpse at the character that we're looking at today in the first Sunday of our Advent series, and that is Simeon. So if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be starting at verse 22. Um, Luke 2, chapter 2, starting in verse 22. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The word of the Lord. 
So here we have it. This is after Jesus has been born. Yes, I know that we're a little preemptive in some of the rest of our Advent stuff, but I think this is a character. I think Simeon is a character that we kind of overlook when we look at the birth story. We think about everything that kind of happened up until he was born, and then it's like, all right, now we peace out to Jesus' ministry. But I think this is a very important story to look at. So now this is after the time of purification, uh, according to the law of Moses, had happened, which was 40 days. So this has been 40 days since baby Jesus was born, uh, which is about six weeks-ish. So baby Jesus is six weeks old, and they travel to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, um, the, the sacrifice for purification for Mary after having, having a baby. And now Luke makes an interesting note here. He says... Um, a pair of doves and, and two pigeons. Now, if we look at the law that they are following in Leviticus um, 12, 6 and 8, it says, when the time of purification for a son or a daughter are over, she is to bring the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or dove for a sin offering. But if she cannot afford a sheep, then she must take two turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we see here that Mary and Joseph, when they come to the temple to present these offerings and sacrifices, they're, they're presenting two doves or two pigeons. They were poor, like fairly poor to not have enough money to pay to buy a lamb for this sacrifice. And I think this is something that we don't often think about, about Mary and Joseph being poor. I mean, this is also why I also believe that the wise men had not yet visited them. Because if the wise men had visited them and just given them some gold, frankincense, and myrrh, you think that they would have been able to purchase a lamb for, the, for this sacrifice. Now, I mean, there are a couple options. I mean, maybe um, they got the wise men from the gold from the wise men and they just kept it for themselves and, and paid for the cheaper option because that's what they wanted to keep the money. Now, I, I don't believe that at all because of the character and the heart that we see of Mary and Joseph. Um, another option could be that the wise men actually didn't bring them very much, right? Like here, here's one piece of gold. Again, highly unlikely that these um, magi from the east would come and travel this big way and only bring a small amount. So uh, my theory, and I believe that it is supported through the rest of Scripture, is that the wise men had not yet arrived at this point when Jesus was you know, already 40 days old. Um, and when the wise men show up and they bring their gold and their gifts, I think that's what God used to finance the trip and the fleeing to Egypt for how long they needed to be there. Um, so God was kind of orchestrating all that. So what we see here, though, is that they um, bought the two pigeons or turtle doves. Now, it's interesting, when you read through this passage, it shows us that Mary and Joseph were actually very devout. Over and over again, it says this is the law of the Lord that they were following. They did this according to the law of the Lord. Um, so I, I highly doubt that they would have just chosen a cheaper option. Um, they wanted to serve God. I mean, doves, doves were pretty cheap. Um, I mean, if you worked for probably an hour or two at minimum wage, you could have afforded a dove back in that, in that day. Um, so for Mary and Joseph, like that, that was the most that they could afford. So this does indicate that at the time, they were actually pretty poor. Um, so maybe 
because of their hearts, maybe it was actually like something that pained them a little bit, not being able to buy the lamb for this sacrifice, this offering. I wonder if in the, in the, we don't know, but I wonder if in the culture there was this little bit of a stigma of like, oh, you couldn't afford the lamb. Now, I, I think because of Mary and Joseph's hearts and what, what we see in them, I think that they were actually probably thankful that, that God had provided a way for even the very poor to follow him, to follow in what he was asking. I mean, it even goes on if, if you look um, at, at the laws. It says, if you can't afford a dove or a pigeon, you can bring some flour. Like, there's even another tier that God says, you know what, yes, I'm going to make this possible for all to come and follow me. And I mean, I think that really shows the heart of God. Like, he doesn't want money to be a barrier to following him. He's made a way even for the very poor to follow him in what he has. I mean, which is, I mean, when you think about it, that's exactly what Jesus did. Like, <laughs> he made a way for those who are very poor spiritually to be made right with God. I mean, we weren't just very poor spiritually. I mean, we were spiritually broke. I mean, and we're not even just spiritually broke. I mean, we're like spiritually in debt big time. And Jesus made a way for those who were in spiritual debt to follow him by paying a great personal cost to himself. So this is what Mary and Joseph are doing. They came to Jerusalem to offer these sacrifices according to the law. And then we meet, meet our character. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Now, Scripture says that this man was righteous. Now, what does that mean? Well, we know that elsewhere in Scripture it talks about Abraham was righteous. It says because he believed God and it was given to him as righteousness. So we have a guy here, Simeon, who believes God. He has a faith, as we would call it. This isn't just something that's ritual for him. He truly believes. So he's righteous. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for Israel to be restored. It says, the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he's got this desire within him. Now, I think Simeon probably had this desire before he was promised to see the Lord's Christ, is that he wanted to see God restore the nation of Israel. He wanted to see the glory of Israel restored. He wanted to see the Messiah come. The idea here for him is how adamantly he wanted this. Was he was like a guard standing on a wall watching, trying to look and see and watch and find all the signs that pointed to it. This was just part of who he was. Now, there were probably a lot of people that were waiting for the Messiah in those days. There was probably a lot of people talking about the Messiah. Um, but I think Simeon has a little bit of a different view on it. And we're going to see that in a minute by what he says. The verse goes on to say that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And that the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not see death till he saw the Lord's Christ. 
Now, I find it interesting. If you look through Luke, look through the first two chapters of Luke, and Luke mentions the Holy Spirit ten times before the end of chapter two. That's a lot. Like, you think he's trying to make a point there. Ten times before the end of chapter two, Luke mentions the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting when you look at who he mentions the Holy Spirit in connection with. We have Elizabeth. We have Zechariah. We have Simeon. These weren't young people. (laughs) Elizabeth and Zechariah were way past childbearing years. Simeon says, hey, I can die now in peace. Like, you can take me now, Lord. My time's done. I've seen your your Christ. I mean, even Anna in the story after this one. It says she was 87, or depending on how you do your math, she could have been over 100. And these are the people that the Holy Spirit is working in. I find that very interesting. That God doing something new. Christ being born into this world is surrounded by the oldest generation being filled with the Spirit to say and proclaim and to be led. I don't know if you feel like maybe you're too old. (laughs) You're not. God does not forsake his children near the end of their earthly lives or anywhere in their earthly lives. God's not done with you being able to use you till the day you draw your last breath, till that moment. Don't believe the lie that you're too old and God's going to use somebody younger. No. We see this beautiful picture of the youngest, a baby being born, and God speaking into that and blessing that by the oldest generation. There was no conflict between the young and the old. There was just this beautiful unity. So at some point, the Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon that he's not going to taste death until he sees baby Jesus. Now, I don't know how the Holy Spirit revealed that to him. It could have been through a dream, could have been a vision, could have been an angel, could have been through audible words from heaven, could have been through the still, small voice of God. I mean, this would be a perfect opportunity to plug our Hearing God series that starts in January or February or something like that. But this is the reality of it. Like, if you look at this story, God was speaking directly to Simeon Personally, like this wasn't a message for everybody of the day. This was God speaking to Simeon, to his life, to his heart, to the the desire he had to see Israel restored. And God's like, I see that. I have something for you. God spoke into that, spoke into his life in a personal way. And God still does that today. God still wants to speak to his children, to have that close relationship. You can't have a close relationship with someone if there's no communication. And as we look through scripture, we see that our God is a very communicative God. That's a big word. So he tells him, 
you're going to see the Christ child before you die. Man, like, if I was Simeon, I don't know, I'd be like freaking out. I'm like, okay, when is this going to happen? Because like, he's already excited. He's already longing for this day to come, to see Israel restored, to see the Messiah come and make things right. And now he's told he's going to get to see him before he dies? Like, man, I don't know what I would do, but I'd be like head on a swivel, owl spinning around. What's, when's this going to happen, Lord? And then he's told, the spirit draws him or leads him or, or moves him. Like, I don't know if you've ever had that where you just feel like this, this prompting of the spirit to do something or to say something or to go somewhere or whatever. That's what Simeon had, Simeon had here, to go to the temple that day. So Simeon goes, and I can, just, I can just picture it in my head. He's like standing across the temple, and he's just standing there just watching. Like, okay, Lord, just watching. You know, and sees the gate, and then Mary and Joseph come in carrying a baby with some pigeons or doves, whatever. Like, I don't even know how I would respond. I'd be like, like I'd want to run at him, but I don't know. It seems like he waited to let them do all the sacrifice thing and then talk to him. I don't know. We don't know exactly the timeline of it. I would be like, just try to put yourself in Simeon's shoes. Like, you're so excited for this. You're longing for this. God told you this is going to happen. Like, phew. man, so much adrenaline for me at that point. I honestly, I was thinking about it, and I was like, if I was actually Simeon at that point, I would literally be scared of dropping baby Jesus. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm so excited. Like, this is the Messiah. This is like God in the flesh. Like, you, <laughs> bless the Lord on this child. But, man, can you imagine that? And then I just had this beautiful picture of there's Simeon in the temple holding baby Jesus. And then now Simeon's in heaven and Jesus is holding him. And then we get these words from Simeon. In verse 29, he says this, Lord, now you can let your servant depart in peace according to your word. You kept your promise, God. You told me this has happened, and now you have. My eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So a couple things I want to point out from this section of what Simeon says. The first thing is he says that he will be a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. That the, the revelation means th things will just be revealed. It'd be like God's plan is going to be revealed. Like the Gentiles are going to know that Jesus is the way. It's going to be open to them. And I was thinking about this. Someone who is a devout Jew who follows it. He's, he's passionate about the law of the Lord and following it and loving him. And he says, this is for, for all. This isn't just for the Jews. This is for the Gentiles as well. I mean, that's incredible because you see elsewhere that they didn't get that. Like later on when Jesus is talking to people and it's like, well, we're going to, you know, the, the gospel is going to be spread to the Gentiles as well. And there's like this, this gap almost that sometimes happened even between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. Like even Peter the Apostle, the Apostle, <laughs> the, Peter the Apostle, <laughs> that guy, you know him, he was rebuked for like not eating with the Gentiles anymore. Because even he kind of slid back into what their cultural idea was. But Simeon, he gets it. He's like, this isn't just for us. He's like, this, this is bigger. Like, it wasn't that he was just like, okay, God, cool, I know your plan. But he rejoiced in the fact that this would be spread to the ends of the earth. 
Man, I came, I came across this verse in my study this week. I kind of didn't blow my mind, but it surprised me. I mean, it happens a lot as you study scriptures. There's things that are like, man, wow. Anyways, this is what it says in Isaiah 49, 6. This is the prophecy about Christ when he's coming. God said this. It's like, it's too insignificant of a task for you, Jesus, to be my servant, to reestablish the tribes of Jacob and restore the remnant of Israel. So I will also make you a light to the nations so you can bring my deliverance to the remote regions of the earth. God's like, ah, it's too insignificant. I've got to do something bigger. If you look in other translations, it's like it's too small. It's too light of a thing for you just to restore this whole nation and do awesome things with it. So I'm going to do something greater by spreading this to the ends of the earth. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, he's, he's talking about restoring the broken tribes of Jacob, Jacob rebuilding Israel. In my mind, that seems like a pretty significant task, even in and of itself. But I mean, this is the reality. It's like I, I consistently often underestimate the power of Jesus in my life. He is way more powerful than I give him credit for. He's more powerful than I can actually even imagine, than we can imagine. But Simeon, he got this. He's like, it's not just for us. I'm going to do something more. And then he goes on to say this. It says this, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel. So not only did Simeon understand that this wasn't just for the nation of Israel, that this was actually for the whole world, but then he even goes more. And I'm like, I'm already amazed that Simeon got it, whereas so many people in his day missed it. I mean, so many people today still miss it. But then he goes even farther. He's like, this is... This child's appointed for the rise and fall of many, and he's a sign that will be opposed. It's not like he thought, oh, the Messiah's going to come here, you know. All right, everybody line up. Everybody lines up. We're all good. Here we go. No, he knew that that wasn't going to happen. Because I think so many people in the day were like, oh, the Messiah's going to come. He's going to bring us freedom from Rome. He's just going to be this great military commander. He's going to make everything right, and everything's going to be peachy keen. Woo. No, he got it that he was going to be opposed, that there was going to be tension and conflict, that he would cause the rise and the fall of many. He knew that hearts or the thoughts of hearts would be revealed. I mean, and we see this, right? Like we see this in Jesus' life where he actually revealed the thoughts. The Pharisees are standing there like, all grumpy about him doing healings, and he's like, hey, why are you guys thinking this? And he says their thoughts. He literally revealed their thoughts to the world, the thoughts of their hearts. But then he says this to Mary. He's like, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. He knew that whatever happened in Jesus' life was actually going to cause Mary a lot of pain. Maybe he had read Isaiah 53 and understood the suffering that the Messiah would have to go through. And I, honestly, I think a little bit of this is also God's grace to Mary. 
Because from very early, 40 days old, and I would say maybe even earlier than that, depending on the, what the angel's telling her, she is warned. She is like, hey, Mary, prepare yourself. Like, this is going to be a rough road. <laughs> it's going to be painful for you. Like, I just think that speaks of God's grace to her, that he was preparing her, get yourself ready for what's going to come. I mean, that'd be a lot better than never thinking that anything bad was going to happen, and then all of a sudden he's like dying on a cross. Like, but God was wanting to walk through with her because he loves his children. He wants to prepare you for whatever you're going to have to go through as well. So I find it fascinating that when so many people missed it, Simeon got it. I mean, they went to the temple, like the pinnacle of worship in their day. And it wasn't the priests. They didn't say, oh, this is the Messiah. We're going to have this special ceremony and bless him and all this stuff. No, it was some guy from down the street that the Lord prompted to come. Simeon was watching and waiting. He was watching and waiting for the Lord's deliverance to come, and he saw it. God blessed him to see it. A couple thoughts about this, about this story. We see Simeon, he was devout. We see Mary and Joseph are devout. I mean, talk five times they're told that they're following the commandments of the Lord to the letter of how they were supposed to do things. But you see no conflict between the old and the new, the old covenant and the new covenant, because Jesus came to fulfill the old. And those who are truly following God out of faith rather than out of legalism or obligation, it wasn't a conflict for them. But when we see the Pharisees who are following all these laws out of legalism and obligation and, and to put on a show, when Jesus comes, it revealed their hearts and there was conflict. But to those who were truly seeking and following, there was no conflict. There was rejoicing at the fact that Jesus came. True followers, faith-filled followers readily accept Jesus and his message because it doesn't conflict with the message of the law and the prophets, but it fulfills it. I wonder if there's a lesson in there for us. <laughs> the new and the old of what God has done in our lives. Don't need to conflict. We can honor what he's done, what has come before us, and rejoice in what he's going to do and what he is doing. Another thought, God is not done with you, not until your last breath. It's never too late. It's never too late to receive a blessing from the Lord. You look at Simeon. He's like, I can die now. What a blessing to be able to see Christ, to know the restoration of Israel was at hand for him. 
But it wasn't just him receiving a blessing. He also was a blessing. It's never too late for you to receive a blessing, and it's never too late for you to be a blessing to someone, to encourage Another thought from this passage, what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? I mean, at this point, we're all waiting for Christmas. I mean, that's, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, and kids, kids get crazy at Christmas. Like, uh, I mean, I know why, and I'm going to tell you why. Kids get crazy at Christmas because they're, they're excited. There's presents. There's candy. There's lights. There's all these awesome, wonderful things. And I mean, Christmas morning is crazy, and kids get up super early because they're excited about something. Now, do you think that any kids would be super excited if Christmas morning was just another regular morning? And we're like, hey, Christmas morning, go to school. Do you think we'd have the same excitement? Not at all. I would be very sad about that. <laughs> but why are they so excited? It's because they are waiting in expectation. There's something they're waiting for that they know is going to happen. They know there's going to be presents under that tree or whatever, however your family celebrates that, stockings or Christmas Eve, whatever. They, they know. It's like a guaranteed. They know that there's somebody who cared about them, to think about them, to think about what they would like, you know, and, you know, what, what they would enjoy, and to wrap it up and put a card on it and put it under a tree for them. Like, there's so much involved in that. So they're waiting in expectation of something awesome happening. I mean, do you know what we call that? Hope. That's what waiting in expectation is, is hope. And that's what Simeon had. He wasn't just waiting around like in a waiting room like, oh, when are they going to call my name? Like, you know, on his phone and like, oh, it's my turn now. No, he was waiting in expectation. He expected it. He believed. He had that faith. That's what hope is. It's faith projected into the future. It's belief of what's going to happen, what's going to come. And we have a hope. Yes, Jesus was born. He lived. He died. He raised again and went to heaven. And he's coming back. So again, we, are found, we found ourselves in a place like Simeon, waiting for Christ to come. Are we waiting in expectation? Because waiting lackadaisically or distracted or unattentive is not the way Simeon was waiting. It's not the way we are told to wait throughout all of Scripture. It says, be ready, be watchful, make ready, be alert, be on your guard. We are to be waiting in expectation for Jesus to return. Because... Romans 5, 5, our hope does not 
disappoint us. Our hope will not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So in this time, we are called to wait. But let it not be bored, unattentive, distracted waiting. Let us wait in expectation, in hope, for the good things Christ will bring when he returns. Let's pray. Oh, almighty Father God, thank you so much for the gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ. That he's made a way for us to be reunited with you. God, we praise you. God, let us now wait with a hope, with a longing, with a desire, with an expectation to see your glory come. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As always, we have an opportunity for you guys to come up and pray with people up at the front here. And I would, I would encourage you, please, take advantage of that. I mean, like one of our young adults said last month, it's free prayer, guys. Like, come on. It's a pretty good deal. But I would encourage you, um, if you'd like, come and pray with someone or for someone. That's um, always an option. The other thing is, uh, we have our prayer gathering happening this evening, 6 to 7 p.m. in the landing. We'd love to have you come join us uh, for a time of just prayer over our church, our city, our country, the world. Um, also, we have pizza for after the service uh, for, for all of us to have a family time of fellowship together. So we invite you to please come and join us for our pizza section lunch as well. Uh, Everyone would stand for the close of our service. This is what it says in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Go in God's peace.